0: Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham. Chapter 97. Philip awoke with a start next morning, conscious that it was late, and looking at his watch found it was nine o'clock. He jumped out of bed and went into the kitchen to get himself some hot water to shave with. There was no sign of Mildred, and the things which she had used for her supper the night before still lay in the sink, unwashed. He knocked at her door. "'Wake up, Mildred. It's awfully late.' She did not answer, even after a second, louder knocking, and he concluded that she was sulking. He was in too great a hurry to bother about that. He put some hot water on to boil and jumped into his bath, which was always poured out the night before, in order to take the chill off. He presumed that Mildred would cook his breakfast while he was dressing and leave it in the sitting-room. She had done that two or three times when she was out of temper, but he heard no sound of her moving, and realized that if he wanted anything to eat he would have to get it himself. He was irritated that she would play him such a trick on a morning when he had overslept himself. There was still no sign of her when he was ready, but he heard her moving about her room. She was evidently getting up he made himself some tea, and cut himself a couple of pieces of bread and butter, which he ate while he was putting on his boots, then bolted downstairs and along the street into the main road to catch his tram. While his eyes sought out the newspaper shops to see the war news on the placards, he thought of the scene of the night before. Now that it was over, and he had slept on it, he could not help thinking it grotesque. He supposed he had been ridiculous, but he was not master of his feelings. At the time they had been overwhelming. He was angry with Mildred because she had forced him into that absurd position, and then, with renewed astonishment, he thought of her, outburst, and the filthy language she had used. He could not help flushing when he remembered her final jibe, but he shrugged his shoulders contemptuously. He had long known that, when his fellows were angry with him, they never failed to taunt him with his deformity. He had seen men at the hospital imitate his walk, not before him as they used to at school, but when they thought he was not looking. He knew now that they did it from no willful unkindness, but because man is naturally an imitative animal, and because it was easy, it was an easy way to make people laugh. He knew it, but he could never resign himself to it. He was glad to throw himself into his work. The ward seemed pleasant and friendly when he entered it. The sister greeted him with a quick business-like smile. You're very late, Mr. Carey. I was out on the loose last night. You look it. Thank you laughing he went to the first of his cases a boy with tuberculosis ulcers and removed his bandages the boy was pleased to see him and philip chaffed him as he put a clean dressing on the wound "'Philip was a favorite with the patients. "'He treated them good-humoredly, "'and he had gentle, sensitive hands "'which did not hurt them. "'Some of the dressers were a little rough "'and happy-go-lucky in their methods. "'He lunched with his friends in the dining club, "'a frugal meal consisting of a scone and butter "'with a cup of cocoa. "'And they talked of the war.' Several men were going out, but the authorities were particular and refused anyone who had not had a hospital appointment. Someone suggested that, if the war went on in a little while, they would be glad to take anyone who was qualified. But the general opinion was that it would be over in a month. Now that Roberts was there, things would get all right in no time. This was Macallister's opinion, too, and he had told Philip that they must watch their chance and buy just before peace was declared. There would be a boom then, and they might all make a bit of money. Philip had left with Macallister instructions to buy him stock whenever the opportunity presented himself. His appetite had been whetted by the thirty pounds he had made in the summer, and he wanted now to make a couple of hundred. He finished his day's work and got on a tram to go back to Kennington. He wondered how Mildred would behave that evening. It was a nuisance to think she would probably be surly and refuse to answer his questions. It was a warm evening for that time of year, and even in those grey streets of South London there was the languor of February. Nature is restless then after the long winter months, growing things awake from their sleep, and there is a rustle in the earth, a forerunner of spring, as it resumes its eternal activities. Philip would have liked to drive on further. It was distasteful to him to go back to his rooms, and he wanted the air, but the desire to see the child clutched suddenly at his heartstrings, and he smiled to himself as he thought of her toddling towards him with a crow of delight. He was surprised when he reached the house and looked up mechanically at the window to see there was no light. He went upstairs and knocked, but got no answer. When Mildred went out, she left the key under the mat, and he found it there now. "'He let himself in, and going into the sitting-room struck a match. "'Something had happened. "'He did not know at once what. "'He turned the gas on full and lit it. "'The room was suddenly filled with the glare, and he looked round. "'He gasped. "'The whole place was wrecked. "'Everything in it had been willfully destroyed. "'Anger seized him, and he rushed into Mildred's room. "'It was dark and empty.' When he had got a light, he saw that it, she had taken away all her things and the babies. He had noticed on entering that the go-cart was not in its usual place on the landing, but thought Mildred had taken the baby out. And all the things on the washing stand had been broken. A knife had been drawn crossways through the seats of the two chairs. The pillow had been slit open. There were large gashes in the sheets and the counterpane. The looking-glass appeared to have been broken with a hammer. Philip was bewildered. He went into his own room, and here, too, everything was in confusion. The basin and the ewer had been smashed. The looking-glass was in fragments, and the sheets were in ribands. Mildred had made a slit large enough to put her hand into the pillow and had scattered the feathers about the room. She had jabbed a knife into the blankets. On the dressing table were photographs of Philip's mother. The frames had been smashed, and the glass shivered. Philip went into the tiny kitchen everything that was breakable was broken. Glasses, pudding basins, plates, dishes. It took Philip's breath away. Mildred had left no letter, nothing but this ruin to mark her anger, and he could imagine the set face with which she had gone about her work. He went back into the sitting room and looked about him. He was so astonished that he no longer felt angry. He looked curiously at the kitchen knife and the coal hammer which were lying on the table where she had left them. Then his eye caught a large carving-knife in the fireplace which had been broken. It must have taken her a long time to do so much damage. Lawson's portrait of him had been cut crossways and gaped hideously. His own drawings had been ripped in pieces, and the photographs, Manet's Olympia, and the of Vingray, the portrait of Philip IV, had been smashed with great blows of the coal-hammer. There were gashes in the tablecloth and in the curtains and in the two armchairs. They were quite ruined. On one wall over the table which Philip used as his desk was a little bit of the Persian rug which Cronshaw had given him. Mildred had always hated it. If it's a rug, it ought to go on the floor, she said, and it's a dirty, stinking piece of stuff. That's all it is. It made her furious because Philip told her it contained the answer to a great riddle. She thought he was making fun of her she had drawn the knife right through it three times it must have required some strength and it hung now in tatters philip had two or three blue and white plates of no value but he had bought them one by one for very small sums and liked them for their associations they littered the floor in fragments there were long gashes on the backs of his books and she had taken the trouble to tear pages out of the unbound french ones The little ornaments on the chimney-piece lay on the hearth in bits. Everything that it had been possible to destroy with a knife or a hammer was destroyed. The whole of Philip's belongings would not have sold for thirty pounds, but most of them were old friends, and he was a domestic creature, attached to all those odds and ends, because they were his. He had been proud of his little home, and on so little money had made it pretty and characteristic. He sank down now in despair. He asked himself how she could have been so cruel. A sudden fear got him on his feet again, and into the passage, where stood a cupboard in which he kept his clothes. He opened it and gave a sigh of relief. She had apparently forgotten it, and none of his things were touched. He went back into the sitting-room, and, surveying the scene, wondered what to do. He had not the heart to begin trying to set things straight. Besides, there was no food in the house and he was hungry. He went out and got himself something to eat. When he came in, he was cooler. A little pang seized him as he thought of the child, and he wondered whether she would miss him. At first, perhaps, but in a week she would have forgotten him, and he was thankful to be rid of Mildred. He did not think of her with wrath, but with an overwhelming sense of boredom. I hope to God I never see her again, he said aloud. The only thing now was to leave the rooms, and he made up his mind to give notice the next morning. He could not afford to make good the damage done, and he had so little money left that he must find cheaper lodging still. He would be glad to get out of them. The expense had worried him, and now the recollection of Mildred would be in them always. Philip was impatient and could never rest till he had put in action the plan which he had in mind, so on the following afternoon he got in a dealer and second-hand furniture who offered him three pounds for all his goods, damaged and undamaged, and two days later he moved into the house opposite the hospital in which he had had rooms when he first became a medical student the landlady was a very decent woman. He took a bedroom at the top, which she let him have for six shillings a week. It was small and shabby, and looked on the yard of the house that backed on to it, but he had nothing now except his clothes and a box of books, and he was glad to lodge so cheaply. End of chapter 97